Hello, and welcome to Moving Markets by Julius Baer. Please listen to the important legal information at the end of this podcast. Good morning, everyone. My name is Alexander Peterson, and welcome to the Moving Markets podcast. Coming up on the show, we have Mansur Puchinsky, Head of Technical Analysis, who will give us an update on the market moves, and Mark Matthews, Head of Research APAC, who will give us more insights on China. But first, let's see what has happened in the markets. The big news this morning are protests spreading across China over harsh anti-virus curbs. Large crowds gathered in Shanghai and demonstrations were reported in Beijing. But more on that from Mark in just a minute. The unrest in China caused oil to tumble to its lowest level since December as unrests in China hurt investors' appetite for risk and outlook for the energy demand. Turning to the UK. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak is facing pushback from his ruling conservatives as they try to force the government to drop a ban on new onshore wind farms. More than 20 Tories, including Sunak's predecessors Boris Johnson and Liz Truss, are backing a pro-wind energy amendment to leveling up a regeneration bill, which is expected to be debated before Parliament breaks for its vacation on December 20th. It's the second rebellion on the same legislation in less than a week after Sunak pulled a vote on his house building plans as dozens of his Tories threatened to defy him. Coming to Friday market action. The S&P 500 was down 0.6% led by real estate, utilities and healthcare. The Nasdaq 100 was also down by 0.7% and the 10-year US Treasury ended Friday at 3.65% yield. But are lower this morning on the risk of mood in the markets. Briefly turning to commodities. Commodities are broadly lower with the new flow out of China. West Texas Intermediate is down to $74 a barrel. In separate energy-related news, the US government granted Chevron a license to resume oil production in Venezuela after the US sanctions halted all drilling activities almost three years ago. And gold is trading at around $1,750 an ounce. In currencies, the dollar is a little stronger this morning with the Bloomberg dollar spot index up 0.3%. The euro is trading well above $1.03 and in the digital asset world, Bitcoin is trading at around $16,200. With that said, what can we expect ahead for the week? The US will release consumer confidence data on Tuesday. Midweek, the global manufacturing PMI will be released. Also on Wednesday, Fed Chair Jerome Powell is scheduled to speak, and all important U.S. employment report is due on Friday. The Eurozone will release its inflation data on Wednesday, while Switzerland will release its Q3 GDP data on Tuesday and inflation data on Thursday. That's it for me. I'll now hand over to Mansur Pochinsky, Head of Technical Analysis. Good morning. From my side, we have two rating changes to report. First of all, uh, we reported downgrade of crude oil to bearish, indicating that we expect further decline. So we expect basically crude oil prices to give back all of their gains of the year 2022 with the downside risk around 64, 66 US dollar. So these are the lows of uh, Q4 last year. What does this mean for equity and bond investors? Until now, we have no sign that declining oil prices is hurting the relative outperformance of energy stocks and U.S. high-yield bonds. So we are watching here closely if finally these declining oil prices will hurt them and will report in due time. The second rating change is we upgrade bonds to bullish. So we expect 
U.S. and European interest rates to decline. So when we look here at U.S. 10-year Treasury yields, uh, we think that uh, they will break 360 and move back into a range of 280, 350. So this means that probably we have seen here the peak in interest rates uh, for the time being. What does this mean for investors? Basically, it means for investors that bond prices, especially uh, corporate bond prices, can increase further as credit spreads decline and interest rates decline as well. That's all from our side. Thank you very much, Mansoor. Next up, we have Mark Matthews, Head of Research APEC. Hi, Alex. You may recall several of the investment banks upgraded China to an overweight a few weeks ago on the back of what they called the three big pivots. And that was a plan to rescue the property sector and exit rent from zero COVID and improve ties with the United States. At the time, we acknowledged all of those were good, but we were more reserved. And one of the reasons was that we remembered the market had been disappointed by policy before. After Vice Premier Liu He gave a speech in March where he was saying concrete actions would be taken to bolster the economy, new approach would be taken to support property, lots of market-friendly policies would be introduced that never materialized. So there was a 20% rally and it fizzled out. And this time, the Hang Seng Index rose 25% from the end of October to the 15th of November. It's down 6% since then. And the big thing, of course, that's caused it to head back down is COVID. So yesterday, China reported 39,000 new cases. That's well above the peak in April during the Shanghai lockdown of 28,000. The big difference between now and then is that back then, only around 100 cities were seeing daily new cases. Today, over 300 cities are reporting them. And today's numbers are probably a lot less accurate because a lot of people are reluctant to get tested. There's a rumor that people are catching COVID while standing in those long lines to get tested. Uh, they're afraid that if they're positive, they'll get sent off to a quarantine camp. And, of course, there's a tremendous social stigma that comes from having COVID in China. The conundrum the government has is that only half of people 80 years and older are vaccinated, and the vaccines there don't work very well. And in China, there's only four ICU beds for 100,000 people compared to 29 in the United States and 38 in Germany. So opening up would be a big valley to walk through and embarrassing for a government that's told its citizens how so many millions of people died of COVID due to the carelessness of governments in other countries. But if they keep up with zero COVID, the economy is going to continue to stagnate. It's clear from the images we've seen on television over the last few days they risk serious social unrest. One in five urban youth are unemployed, but every year over 10 million more of them are graduating from university trying to enter the job market. And we can see their frustrations on television and those protests over the weekend. I think the tipping point was the so-called 20 measures for optimizing epidemic response that came out a couple of weeks ago that was supposed to make life easier, but had the opposite effect. Because instead of locking down entire apartments, neighborhood committees were supposed to only make sure that households with exposure didn't leave their homes. But that's impossible for a handful of officials to do in communities of tens of thousands of residents. So instead, they were bolting the doors shut in entire buildings. Apparently, the World Cup was also a catalyst because Chinese people could see in the stands 
all those people in Qatar watching the games, not wearing masks, having a good time. The images of those stands aren't being broadcast anymore, just the players on the field. Most experts on Chinese politics think a crackdown on these protests is inevitable, but it's possible if COVID spreads so much that it just can't be contained anymore, that they just let it go. For now, there's a lot of contradiction in the policies, for example, after that deadly apartment fire and protests in Urumuchi. The government there declared it had achieved zero COVID and was going to reduce the lockdown measures. But the main face behind zero COVID, Vice Premier Sun Chunlan, when she visited Chongqing on Friday, she told the municipal authorities there to wipe out COVID with greater precision and efficiency. So we just don't know. I'd also say that as much as it's clear from the protests we see on television that a lot of people are fed up with zero COVID, after three years of telling people this is an extremely dangerous virus, there's also a large percent of Chinese who are terrified of COVID and don't want to open up. So there are turbulent times for the China stock market, but you know the old saying, it's all always darkest before dawn. I'll leave you with something interesting you can see for yourself. If you look up the Bloomberg story titled, Super Rare Signal Suggests Hong Kong Stock Market Has Hit Bottom. I haven't, truth be told, asked Mensur's expert opinion on this yet, but the Relative Strength Index measures the speed and change of prices, and the rule of thumb is they're overbought when it hits 70, oversold when they hit 30. On a 14-month basis, the Hang Seng Index's Relative Strength Index dropped below 30, and is surged back up over 30 again. That's supposed to mean the price is about to make a big turn. It only happened once before in Hong Kong City during the 1967 riot. And if you look at that Bloomberg article, you'll see a chart that a very similar shift in 2009 marked the start of the bull market in the United States. We'll only know in retrospect, but it could be the best time to buy Hong Kong stocks. It all depends on what they decide to do with their COVID policy. Thank you, Alex. Thank you very much, Mark. Back to Mansour. So I think Mark is totally right. The market is quite oversold. And I think it's an interesting market to follow over the next few weeks because it has declined so dramatically so from the peak, uh, more than 50%. Nevertheless, once we have these uh, big declines, usually it doesn't, uh, it, it doesn't make sense to be brave and buy at the lows. So I think we have enough time to... Uh, digest in the next couple of weeks if there is really a sustainable turnaround, because if there is a sustainable turnaround, the upside potential is uh, quite immense. So even if uh, the market would retrace half of its losses, the market could gain 50% from current levels. So there is no urgency to buy, uh, but uh, over the next few weeks, of course, we have to keep a close eye if the market can finally uh, see some upside momentum and some demand for those equities. Thank you for your interesting insights. And that's all for today. Thanks for tuning in. Please join us again tomorrow. Goodbye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information. Beyond Markets is a weekly podcast where Julius Baer experts and external speakers discuss some of the latest market developments. They share their key research and insights on today's ever-changing economic landscape and present practical advice. Search for Beyond Markets on your favourite podcast player.